0: We continue our series this morning in Nehemiah. Our series is called Determined. And that's what Nehemiah was. He was determined to follow the Lord's will and to do what the Lord had asked him. Nehemiah was given the burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem for his people. And each step of the way, the first thing Nehemiah would do would be to pray and then depend on God for his guidance. So please, as we study today, learn. From Nehemiah. What a great task or burden that God has placed on your heart. If there is one, He will help you accomplish that. And if you don't have a burden on your heart this morning for people or for the church or to do something for the Lord, my question to you would be why? Because we are all called to serve the Lord. We are all called. To share the gospel. Yes, I am a pastor and I have that title and that position, but that doesn't make anyone else that's not a pastor not accountable to the same call. We are all part of the church and we are all to share in sharing the gospel, share the workload of sharing the gospel. Well, I'd
1: like
0: to start this morning, as I do often, with a question to kind of get us in the the frame of mind for what we're studying this morning. And the question I have for you this morning is: Is it can one person of faith in God, armed with His calling, make a difference in this world? Can one person of faith in God, armed with His calling, make a difference in this world? Can you, who are called by God, you as individual? I'm talking to you personally this morning. As God has been talking with me, if you are a person of faith, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, can that calling make a difference? Can you make a difference? Nehemiah would say, absolutely. And that's what we're studying this morning. Because we're all called to do things. We are called to be rebuilders. Because there are so many things that this world is trying to tear down. They're trying to to tear down the uh, inerrancy of the Bible. They are trying to tear down the sanctity of marriage. They are trying to redefine what life is. They are trying to redefine what love is. And, And Supreme Courts are trying to take precedence over what the Bible says. And God has placed us in America to take a stand and to make a difference. What causes us to not act upon God's call in our lives? It's a word called fear. Faith's enemy is fear. Faith's enemy is fear. The greatest enemy to faith is fear. Fear is misplaced faith. I remember someone telling me that years ago, and I've never forgotten it. Fear is misplaced faith. Now, that does not mean that I, as your pastor, do not struggle with fear and anxiety. Yes, I do, because I am human. But usually in those times where I am the most fearful and have the most anxieties because my problems are focused on me rather than my faith in God. And I would venture to say you are probably the same way. I can remember the first football game I ever started in. Yes, here's another football story. But I was in 10th grade, and I had uh, played 7th grade football, 9th grade football, and I was one step above a tackling dummy. And uh, But finally, for some reason, after a couple of years, I was able to secure a starting position at, at the position of center. Center is the guy that kneels down first and gives the ball to the quarterback. You know that guy? Okay. And, and he's got a lot of responsibility. He is the unsung hero of the team. Did you know that every time... The, the, the play is over, the center has to line up on the ball and stick his hands up and everybody else lines up around him for the huddle. He's, he's the center. He is, he is the, uh, basically the guide on the field as we go. And so, you know, centers don't get a whole lot of recognition unless they just blow their block. But, but I absolutely, all the practice that I had done, all the weight training and all the studying I have done, had done had finally paid off. And I had a pride of, of finally I was a starter on the football team, thinking that all the girls would be impressed by that. They were not. But I had that going for me, right? And so with all that thrill of finally getting a starting position, it was kind of offset by the fact that I had a lot of responsibility as a center. For example, as I told you earlier earlier, the center was the first person to even put his hands on the football. Before the quarterback gets it and before the receiver makes the grand catch or the, the running back busts through the line and makes a touchdown, the first person to touch the ball after the referee is the center. That is a lot of pressure to have on one position, is it not? I mean, it's not like you're you're taking the ball and you're saying, excuse me, Mr. Quarterback, here's the ball, now you may throw it. No, he is bent over and he is taking a ball and putting it between his legs to a pair of hands. That is awkward. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, there's no way to say that. It's awkward. And there were some games to where uh, it was easy, you know, everything was dry, but then there were games where there was rain and there was mud and it was wet and it was slippery and and I would like to say that I never fumbled the ball every now and then. But, but that ball, it was, it was just amazing. And it, I'm giving you way more information than you want probably. But, but when, you, when the center has the hand on the ball, if he does the slightest little twitch on that ball, someone could jump off sides. It could be his players. It could be the other players. And if, if he snaps the ball before the quarterback calls for it, you can fumble again. So like I said, there was a lot of pressure And there was a lot of fear for a 10th grade boy playing that position. But you know what got me through it was the training, the encouragement of my teammates, and the faith that God had put me there for a reason. Because yes, I was a Christian at that time. And I did feel like that in some ways, my time playing there was a mission field. And I would like to say that I was always perfect with that. I was not. I made mistakes. But... My focus was serving the Lord and winning games. We were not undefeated. We won some and we lost some. And in the, in the time span of eternity, no one is going to go back and look at the record books of what our JV football team at Bowling Springs High School did. What All those teams are nothing but feeders for the varsity team, Right? But for me, it's given me a story to share with you this morning of the fact that sometimes our faith is on the line. And sometimes it is going to all come down to what we do with the ball when we get it. And when it comes to this church, folks, I would tell you that you, right now, you are the person that has the hand on the ball. The the ball is in your court, so to speak. When it comes to your family and to your friends, Into your job. These things that God has blessed you with, your hand is on the pulse of that, and it depends upon you. So, So how do you respond? How do you have faith and not let fear overtake you? How do you have the faith? It's one thing to rebuild a sure thing. But it's another thing to rebuild something that has had setbacks. And that's what Nehemiah sees here. I want you to know that God has given... Everyone a position on his team. Every one of us are in the game. Our goal is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dark world that has lost its way. And God has given you and I an opportunity to rebuild the work that he is doing right here in the community of Homeland Park. Like I said earlier during our prayer time, we are doing Deacon nominations. We are doing... Uh, leadership nominations. And we are asking, and, and this is not just, hey, will you do it? Nobody else will do it. That's not the kind of request we want. We want people that are saying, yes, God has called me to do something. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. I don't know exactly what it's going to take, but I know that God is calling me to do it. That's what we are looking for because one person can make a difference right here in Homeland Park, right here in your home, in your school, in your community. Martin Luther had a quote. He said, Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. It is so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. We saw that today in our Sunday school lesson of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they said that God will deliver us, but if He does not, we will still trust in Him and His name will be great. Mark 9.23 says, Then Jesus said to them, "If If you can, everything is possible to the one who believes. He was telling the disciples, What do you mean if you can? Everything is possible. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that in the situation that you're in, whether it be in your work, in your health, in your family, in this church, do you believe that God can do something again? Do you believe that God can rebuild? Do you have that faith? Absolutely. Because if God is working in your life and He's working in the life of the person beside you, He is going to work in the life of this church. Everything is possible. Now this is not prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that if you want to be a millionaire, if you pray about it, that will happen. Because folks, I've got a lot more riches that can't be put on a balance sheet. But what I am telling you that everything that God has called you to will come to fruition if you are obedient and have faith. Matthew seventeen twenty says, Because of your little faith, he told them, for I assure you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Here's the takeaway for this, folks. A determined faith. A determined faith drives out fear. Can you say that? A determined faith drives out fear. A determined faith drives out fear. As I look into the eyes of many of you this morning, I have had the privilege over the last year and a half to to walk some miles beside you in in my shoes and your shoes. and, And we have been on journeys together. And there are things that we have gone through that... They quite honestly were tough for you. I understand that. But you know what? Your determination and your faith to move on is what has gotten you here. And there are plenty of you that have gone through things in your lives that, that I don't, I mean, some of you have, have items in your drawers older than I am. You know, I understand that. But you have got life experiences. And I learn from you. The other younger folks learn from you. But it's not about where we've been or even where we are but it's about where God is calling us to. Well, let's look at Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, and I want us to see for our first point that a rebuilding faith waits on God's timing. That a rebuilding faith waits on God's timing. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, says this. During the month of Nisan which was basically between April and May. During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Remember, Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. He would taste the wine. He would taste the food. He would make sure nothing got to the king that would be harmful for him. He was that important. And then, Nehemiah said, I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why are you sad when you aren't sick? There is nothing but depression. Literally, the king was saying, why such the sad face? Nehemiah, you're always up. You're always alert. You are my go-to man, but now you have a sad face. Your heart must be saddened. Nehemiah said, I was overwhelmed with fear. And replied to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? I want us to understand by reading that passage that that Nehemiah had the faith to wait on God's timing. Because the month of Nisan, like I said, was in about April to May. That means from the time God gave him the burden for his people and the time that this happens, this altercation happens with the king, it's about four months' time. So that means for four months, four months, Nehemiah has been carrying this burden. Does that mean he had a lack of faith? I would say absolutely not. Because a lot of times, when we get into situations where we have a burden or we have a need, we want to just go out and tell somebody how we feel. Or, or, you know, somebody needs to fix that right now. But what was Nehemiah's prayer? He was like, God, I have this burden, but if I bring it before Nehemiah the wrong way, I will be killed. Because kings back then didn't like bad news. So for four months, his prayer was this God, I cannot do it. You are going to have to do this. I cannot do this. I give up. I can only do this if you intercede. And here we have, four months later, God had brought that to fruition, to where he was able to tell the king what was wrong. Nehemiah did not want to act until he got direction from the Lord. We see that Nehemiah wept for his people. We see that Nehemiah prayed for his people. And now we see that Nehemiah was waiting for his people. Why do you think it was so important for Nehemiah to wait? It's because this. Number one, God had to prepare Nehemiah. But also God have to prepare King Artaxerxes. Sometimes when God God tells us one of three answers in prayer, does He not? Yes, no, or wait. And I think sometimes the most frustrating answer is wait. And I'll go ahead and tell you, long distance relationships stink. I, I was in a long distance relationship with Donna. We had... Had fit, um Anderson University it was a two-year school then. We had finished two years, and, and I knew I needed to hold on to that girl, so we got engaged, and I said, i got to go to Charleston, but we are going to make this work. And for two years, we were long distance. And that stunk because I had to finish my four-year degree, and I had to get a job. I mean, imagine that. And then we were going to get married. And so for two years, I continued my school, Donna, continued to work. She later on went and got her four-year degree. But but for the purpose of our relationship, for two years, we were in limbo. And I was in a traveling group that did about 100 concerts a year. So every other weekend, I was on the road. And when I wasn't on the road with them, I was traveling the roads to be with Don. But you know what? It was worth the wait. It was worth the time that I put in in the effort because God eventually allowed us to come together and to be married. And, And folks... Every one of us have things in our lives where God is telling us to wait. Not now. Prepare yourselves. Get yourselves ready. Because when I tell you to act, it will be time. And that's what God was doing with Nehemiah. He was waiting. Not not a waiting in the sense of sitting back in your lounge chair and waiting for somebody else to do it. But actively praying, fasting, doing what he could while he can. And waiting for God to give him direction on talking with the king. Waiting on God's direction is not wasting your time. Waiting on God's direction is actually investing his time. But when the waiting is over, we must act. Also, why do you think King Artaxerxes was so concerned for his cupbearer? It's because Nehemiah had faithfully served the king, there was a relationship there. Now remember, King Artaxerxes was not a believer. But Nehemiah had a relationship with him. So much so that when the king asked him what was the problem, Nehemiah knew that that was the opportunity and he was able to talk to the king in a way that probably other people could not. And here's the the truth that we see here. King Artaxerxes was not under God's protection as his child, but he was under his influence. King Artaxerxes was under God's influence even though he was not a believer. Proverbs 21.1 says, A king's heart is like streams in the water, In the Lord's hands, He directs it wherever He chooses. Folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I know we have a messed up world today, but God is not bound to work only through believers. You realize that, right? God can work through anyone. If He can speak through a donkey, He can speak through anyone. And even though we have leaders in our world, in our nation, that are far from the Lord... God still uses them at His pleasure. Remember, politicians are not in control. God is in control. God can work in our government, but we must pray for that end. Whether you agree with our president and his policies, whether he is a Democrat or Republican or Independent or Tea Party or Birthday Party or whatever else, we pray for the position of that person. We pray for our local government. We pray for our state government. Just like Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't go to King Artaxerxes and said, this is my right, I'm going to go get my people, and you can't do anything about it. That's not what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah worked within the confines that God had placed him in. The second thing we see is that building a rebuilding faith takes a risk. A rebuilding faith takes a risk. In verse 4 of chapter 2 of Nehemiah, the king asked me, what is your request? What does it say right after that? Right after that he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Once again, we see, even in the moment when the king says, okay, Nehemiah, what do you need? I I think of uh, the Christmas story where any time the kid was asked what he wanted for Christmas... He would always say, Red Rider, triple action, compass in the stock, Red Rider, BB gun. And they would always say, no kid, you'll shoot your eye out, there you go. But he was always so quick to say what he wanted. But here Nehemiah, instead of saying, I want to go get my people to rebuild the walls, he said, I need to pray. And he prayed right there, in that moment, in that second. He got composure, he got perspective, and he got along... With God's will rather than His will. The king asked, "What is your request?" All of the king's power and all of the king's influence is now at the disposal of Nehemiah. You realize that Nehemiah has got the king on his side. Nehemiah didn't just throw up an emergency prayer. It wasn't like you know you, you get in a, a terrible situation, you say a prayer real fast. Nehemiah had been praying for this moment. For four months. His prayer time before this moment is what led him to this moment. That is why it is important for you and I to be prayer warriors now for what God wants to do in our lives. For what God wants to do in our church. For what God wants to do in our community. When is the last time you wept? for the people in this community and church? When is the last time you prayed for people in this church other than for health problems? When is the last time you prayed, what can God do in my life to get His will done in our church and community? That's the question that we have. If we're not doing it now, when the opportunity comes, we will miss it. And it might not come this way again. King Artaxerxes was a vast contradiction to the throne of God. Because with Artaxerxes, Nehemiah had to wait for the king to invite his response. In other words, he had to wait to be asked before he could tell the king his problem. But thanks to Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross, he is our high priest and we can go to God any time we want to through prayer. Well, we see in verses 5 through 8 that Nehemiah answered the king. He says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. (laughs) He finally got it off his chest. He'd been praying for God to give him an opportunity to say it. and Oh, he just said it. And it says the king was with the queen seated beside him. Now, some translations translate the queen not as in the monarchy of his queen, but basically a concubine or his uh, special friend. I'll just say that. Remember, King Artaxerxes was not a Christian. His morals were loose, but he had a respect for Nehemiah. And then he asked me, how long will your journey take and when you'll return? So I gave him a definite time, and it pleased the king to send me. I also stated to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates and the temple's forest fortress. Excuse me. The city wall and the home where I will live. The king granted my request, for I was graciously strengthened by my God. What you see here in this, these verses is that Nehemiah had not only prayed fervently, he had planned. Nehemiah had planned diligently. He knew exactly what he needed, he knew the papers that he needed. He even did the research and found out who the guy was at Home Depot that he would have to go to to get his lumber for his fortress and his walls. There again, he was waiting, but he was also active while he was waiting. He had a plan. I mean, I can preach here until I am blue in the face. But if you have things in your life that you want to rebuild, if you have things, if you want to be a part of what God is rebuilding here, we have to have a plan. It's not going to happen overnight. It takes faith, it takes planning, and it takes God's timing. Nehemiah knew that he needed supplies. We learn from Nehemiah that we go where God sends us and we do what he has called us to do. I guess one of the things I love about Batman is that of all the superheroes, he has no supernatural powers. I mean, he doesn't fly. He doesn't, you know, turn things into jelly or whatever. I mean, he's just a regular superhero. But he's got all these gadgets and all these other things that are really neat. But at the core of him, he is just a one, one man. And as you look at Nehemiah, he hasn't given any prophecy. He hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't done anything out of the ordinary. What has Nehemiah done that has been so special? Nothing but doing his work, having a plan, praying, and having a burden. And his work would eventually be the work that prepared the coming of Jesus Christ as a Messiah. Last but not least, we see that a rebuilding faith challenges opposition. A rebuilding faith challenges opposition. I guarantee you something right now, and you can take this to the bank. The minute you want to do something for the Lord, there will be someone opposing you. And we're going to look at how that plays out here. In verses 9 and 10, Nehemiah said, I went to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. Then verse 10, when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to seek the well-being of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. Uh Uh-oh. The established leadership in Jerusalem where the walls were broken started to get threatened. (laughs) We're happy just where we are. Thank you, Nehemiah. You can leave. We don't need the walls. We don't want the Israelites here. We've got our kingdom. We've got our way. We see that nowadays when the church will say, we got church just like we want it. There's been churches saying we don't want to grow. Because they're comfortable where they're at. Let me ask you something. In your life, If are you comfortable where you are in your walk with the Lord? And are you comfortable coming to church and doing the same thing Week in and week out. And I will tell you, if you are comfortable, there is nothing in the Bible that supports comfort when it comes to doing things for the Lord. Yes, God will comfort you, but it's while you are serving Him. If we are comfortable in what we are doing, we're probably not doing anything. We see here that every work of God will face opposition. Nehemiah threatened his enemy's power. Nehemiah's position as the king's personal assistant really intimidated them because not only did he go... Because this is the third attempt to rebuild the walls. Did you know that? Third attempt. Matter of fact, the second one, when Ezra tried to do it, King Artaxerxes was still in control and these leaders basically squelched the whole thing. And King Artaxerxes says, we'll, we'll have to go back and we'll go back to the drawing board, so to speak. Second attempt failed. Third attempt. Here comes Nehemiah. He has a king. He has his influence. He has his permission. And they're going for a third time. You have to say this, is that Sanballat and Tobiah, I hate to say it, but they were prejudiced. They did not want the Jews returning to Jerusalem. And they knew that Jerusalem would be refortified and the city's walls would be rebuilt, that they would come flocking back. Folks, when someone doesn't want certain people in their church, they are in opposition to what God is doing. When we say we will let everybody in our church except this kind of person, we are just like Samuel and Tobiah, we are prejudiced. And that is not of God. Finally, verses Nehemiah 11 and 12, it says, After I have arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. We see here, why do you think that Nehemiah went at night? I'll tell you why. Number one, because he didn't want those that were opposed to him to see what he was doing. They did not want Samblin and Tobiah and his men to understand that they were working. Were they ashamed? Absolutely not. But he wanted to have all the facts together before he made an action. See, he he could have. He could have easily gone and and had a, a... a a town hall meeting or a committee meeting and say, okay, tell me the state of the walls. And everybody would have given their opinion. I think this. I think that. You know, so-and-so did this. So-and-so did that. But no, Nehemiah decided to find a few men and ride the walls and look for himself. Folks, we need men in this church that know the walls, and where they need to be rebuilt. We need first-hand information. Not a lot of this is the way we used to do it, but this is where we are. And we need people that are faithful to stand in the gap and do that. Nehemiah enlisted the help of a few men. He expected the walls at night, and then he was determined to cast the vision. He tells them, so you see now, the city is in ruin. But he basically says, God has showed me that we are going to rebuild the walls. And I love the fact that opposition made Nehemiah only more determined. I put it this way, let your haters be your motivators. Let your haters be your motivators. I'm finishing up, don't worry. Let your haters be your motivators. In verses 19 and 20, when Samuel the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I love it. The first thing they use as an offense towards Nehemiah is gossip and slander. In other words, do you really think this plan is going to work? I can hear it now. We've already tried that before two times and it didn't work. you think you're going to be different? What did Nehemiah do? He says, I gave them this reply. The God of heaven is the one who will grant us success. Listen, folks. When you have things in your life that you want to rebuild, maybe it's a relationship with a loved one. Maybe it's something in your career. Maybe it's something financially. Maybe it's something with your, house, your health. Maybe it's your church. When you want to rebuild something, you have to be determined that your success is not going to come from your efforts. Your efforts are a vehicle to allow God to bless it. If we are successful as Home Park Baptist Church, it is only because God has made it that way. The God of heaven is the one who will grant us success. We, His servants, will start building, but you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. The vision is all about God, not ourselves, our rights, our power, or territory. He just basically told his haters, he said, You can mock all you want, but you're not part of this discussion. We are going to do what the Lord has called us to do. In a closing illustration, I want to show you this picture. Tom and Jerry. You like Tom and Jerry? Preacher, what are you doing? Tom and Jerry. I love Tom and Jerry. I love those cartoons. Now the only place I can find them is on YouTube. But... At least I can find them. But there was an episode of Tom and Jerry to where a kangaroo escaped from the zoo. Maybe you've seen that. And so as Tom's fashion, he would always chase Jerry the mouse. And so as as Tom was chasing Jerry, Jerry went into this little uh, crevice or hallway or something. Tom couldn't get in. He did not know that the kangaroo had escaped. And so the kangaroo comes out Wops him on the nose, and then goes back. And then when Tom looks back, there's little Jerry. And then again, a few other times, you know, when, when Tom thinks he has the mouse cornered, whop, the kangaroo would get him, and then he would, you know, be disappointed. He thought that Jerry was the one doing all this. What I want you to understand, as Nehemiah is saying here, is that When you are taking on a vision, when you are rebuilding what God has called you to do, you have a greater power that is advocating for you. Yes, you will have people that will come against you. Yes, you will have circumstances to keep you from what God wants you to do. But at the end of the day, God is greater. So please, be determined to be a rebuilder. Do you have a rebuilding faith this morning? Or do you have, like Samuel, a critical spirit? Anyone can be a destroyer. Anybody can be the armchair quarterback that will sit back and shoot down ideas and not have any of their own. It's easy to do that. It takes a person of faith to rebuild. Nehemiah had a relationship with God This is his starting point. If you want to rebuild your life, if you want to rebuild this church, if you want to do what God has called you to do, the first step is having a relationship with him. Nehemiah had a definite call from God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah's faith in God was greater than his fear of man. Let me say that one more time. It will be on the screen. Nehemiah's faith in God was greater than his fear of man. I want you to be determined this morning. I want you to be determined, a person of faith that puts fear aside and believes that God wants to work in your life and in your church, in your community, in your job, and in your family. And as we do every Sunday, if you do not have a relationship with Him, We invite you to come forward, and I will lead you in a prayer. And our church will nurture that decision that would allow you to grow in the Lord and become who God wants you to be. Because He needs people that are builders. This church needs people that are builders. Maybe you have a prayer request or would like to join the church. This invitation time is for you. Would you stand?